Well, welcome to the Infrastructure Podcast. My name is Anthony Oliver, and today's discussion will focus on the challenge of building, maintaining, and upgrading the UK's vital mobile telecommunications network. It is a bizarre reality uh, that we are now used to having high-speed internet connectivity beaming into all of our devices at all times, to the extent that any loss of connectivity ranges from being hugely annoying to business critical. But the good news is that having identified the need to provide universal coverage as a key priority in its 2018 needs assessment, the National Infrastructure Commission now describes this sector as one of its success stories in terms of positive investment activity over the last five years. According to its latest progress update, the UK's 4G coverage now extends to around 92% of the land mass and it adds further coverage improvements in the hardest reach areas are continuing until the start of 2027. Great progress indeed. Not least given that 5G networks are also being extended across the UK and coverage now stands at around 70%. As the government puts it in their recently published wireless infrastructure strategy, the ambition for the majority of the population to have access to 5G signal by 2027 has been achieved five years early. We're not out of the 5G connectivity dartwood quite yet though. I suppose in short, the commercial viability of full 5G coverage beyond cities and urban centres will be determined by whether it becomes more than just a faster version of 4G. So what's going on? Is 5G in a high-speed mobile future likely to be universal across the UK or limited to those in cities who are able and willing to pay? Well, to find out, it's my pleasure to welcome Belinda Fawcett, Director of Property and Estates and General Counsel at Cornerstone, one of the businesses now wrestling with the challenge of rolling out the UK's communications network and simultaneously making the commercial case for investment. Belinda, welcome to the Infrastructure Podcast. Thanks. Uh, pleasure to be here, Anthony. Thank you. Great. Well, Belinda, Cornerstone... It's probably one of those uh, really important companies that, to be honest, I don't know a huge amount about. Um, what do you do and why uh, is the company so important to the UK's future? Um, so Cornerstone has been around actually for over 10 years um, and we've been using sort of our experience and knowledge for that time to basically deliver solutions for the um, mobile industry. So we offer a full uh, suite of services for delivering mobile infrastructure around site design, acquisition, construction and maintenance. Um, We were originally formed as a joint venture between Vodafone and what was then O2, Telefonica, um, basically to consolidate their two networks. Because um, and actually, when I talk about consolidation, it's about uh, both of those networks using the same infrastructure across the UK. So we spent um, many years uh, working with those uh, with those two customers. Now we are a um, independent um, infrastructure company. We're actually the UK's largest mobile digital infrastructure company, um, and we own and manage and maintain over twenty thousand sites across the UK. Um, and actually each one of those hosts a one or more of um, the mobile um, MNOs, the mobile network operators. So um, what we do is incredibly important, but most people, as you say, don't really know who we are and why we do it. Um, but the reality is, is that, you know, everybody wants that great connectivity. Everybody wants faster speeds, you know, more of it, reliability, resilience, 
But in order to do that, we have to be able to put the infrastructure up that delivers that. And that is actually what Cornerstone does. Um, your company ambition, I've been ferreting around your website. It says you, you want to be famous for excellence in delivery, embracing transformation with our people and our customers at its heart. So who are your customers? I suppose, you know, what do you actually build? So what we actually build is the infrastructure. So to be in, in its simplicity is the the masks that everybody you can see across the UK and they may be street work sites so they look a little bit like the lampposts that we all see down the road we build big towers or small towers um, and um, in some cases we will put infrastructure on the roofs of buildings um, so I mean who are our customers so our key customers at the moment are uh, Vodafone and Telefonica uh, Virgin Media Row 2 we also have the other MNOs uh, the network the mobile network operators across a number of our sites as well so that's EE and 3 um, and we also have other sort of digital um, digital providers we're looking at the moment at you know the other opportunities out there because you know, our infrastructure is not just used by mobile, it's it's there to be used by, um, for example, we're, we're looking at using it for environmental reasons, so looking at sort of monitoring the weather, looking at monitoring the environment, because what you've got to appreciate at each site, you're going to have your power, you're going to have your transmission, so your fibre. Um, and so it, it's really helpful for um, a lot of the digital companies across the UK. And of course, it's such a growing sector and all of that sector will need absolutely this critical infrastructure. Okay. So do you actually do the, the fibre as well to the mast or do you just do the mast bits of it? We don't do the fibre to the mast. Um, uh, that's, that's, well, it's generally done by the fibre providers and it's normally um, arranged by um, our key customers. Um, I mean, that is actually complicated in itself, getting this fibre to the mast. And often there are places where you can't get the fibre to the mast, so then we have to use things like microwave. So, yeah, we are mainly um, focused on that infrastructure. A complicated business. I mean, I try to summarise a complicated situation. You know, am I over or under-optimistic about the progress being made at the moment? Um, No, I I I think what you said was probably about right. Um, I think we should be really optimistic about where we're going. And there is a huge amount of investment going into putting this infrastructure across the UK. So as as you talked about, we've got 5G, um, we've got great 4G network, but there are more areas to cover. We all know, don't we? We all know everybody drives along a road and says, oh, gosh, I can't get signals, you know. You're using ways, and all of a sudden, you know, it starts the little thing goes swirling round. So there is, there's still a lot to do. But then I think that's the dynamic nature of this industry. You know, we, people talk about coverage, but we also need to talk about capacity, and that's one of the biggest things that we as an industry have to address is is getting more capacity to the mass. And that was a particular um, issue during COVID. And is that where five G comes in? I mean, is the as you say, you know, notwithstanding there are dark spots uh, and everyone wanders around the corner and they lose signal, etc. In four G, but is the challenge really now around five G and rolling out this uh, super fast network, which is going to uh, not only be super fast but super capacity? Is that what it's all about? Is five G the you know the big challenge now? Um, 
I think 5G is a big challenge, but I also still think, you know, creating that uh, ubiquitous coverage is also one of the challenges that we have. And we've got, I'm sure you've heard about the shared rural network. So that's 4G and massive, you know, challenges around rolling these out in sort of hard to reach areas. And often those areas are uneconomic for the mobile network operators to put their mast on or to put their equipment on because there's not enough usage from those areas. But of course, that's what we are required to do. So that's where the government, that's where the investment is coming from, both the industry and the government, so that we can give that, you know, give all those rural areas where currently they probably don't even have 3G. Some of them don't even have 2G. And it's about giving them those opportunities that everyone else in the country has. Let's dig into that. I mean, the the wireless infrastructure strategy, um, the government published that last month, and it says its target to provide a, and it calls it a basic 5G signal for the majority of the population um, uh, by 2027 was hit. I mean, how do you describe the current challenges faced by the infrastructure provider like Cornerstone? I mean, is it it about just simply making that commercial case or is is it a technical issue that you're trying to wrestle with? It's not so much the commercial case, I think. I think it is, you know, one of the biggest challenges we have in rolling out and upgrading is um, is the physical challenge of getting these sites, finding a location. And it's not like, you know, because they're so specific in terms of the spectrum and, you know, how it all works. All the sites have to talk to one another. So we have to be very specific about where the sites go so that the the MNOs actually have the right location to provide their coverage. You know, planning is an issue. I can't tell you how hard it is to get, you know, a mast up in the Lake District, for example. We appreciate, we appreciate, of course, you know, these areas of outstanding national beauty. But at the same time, you know, you can't have this connectivity without some form of in- infrastructure. Um, and we have huge challenges even in the urban areas because, of course, trying to get something up in, on a rooftop. In London, the extent of the redevelopment that's going on, there's a lot of uh, development you know, where buildings are being built upwards. So then the, the challenge there is that we lose the site and um, so the landlord will serve what we call an, a notice to quit and we then have to go and find another site. So those are, I think, the biggest challenges. And, we, you know, we were trying to work at pace. It's a very dynamic industry, the telecoms industry. And I think that's what, you know, we're talking about 5G. Only five minutes ago, we were talking about 4G. And five minutes before that, it was 3G. And I have no doubt this is an industry. It will continue to evolve. And that's, I suppose, what makes it exciting. But those challenges still remain. So why is government support so important to uh, securing investment that you need to build up these networks? Well, we do need government. So they have, you know, they, there's recent legislation. We need their support to actually help us to roll out um, this infrastructure. So, for example, the influence, they, you know, in terms of the planning regulations, you know, they could help us there. Um, they've recently um, uh, introduced the, um, the Electronic, New Electronic Communications Act, you know, which actually gives us more rights to put, uh, put this infrastructure on land. Um, and we just need their support. We need them to be very clear to the UK and that, you know, the importance of connectivity. And we are behind, I think, in terms of sometimes the sort of the rest of the world. Um, but there's an awful lot of industries. The health service, for example, is starting to use 5G, you know, for life-saving um, issues. So, um 
Yeah, we do, but we need the government's support to do this. Presumably, you also need to have uh, huge amounts of um, involvement from the private sector because you know, the, the National Infrastructure Commission points out the long-term commercial and strategic value of 5G will be determined by whether it becomes you know, more than just a faster version of 4G. Do you, do you see that? Do you see that changing? I think it is changing. I think there is a lot of well, I mean, there's a lot of investment from the industry. Um, in this as well. I mean, if you look at the shared rural network, you know, it's a billion pounds being invested, you know, half from the government and half from the industry. Um, you know, so the industry itself is investing. And um, and I think more and more businesses, what we're finding is that, for for example, developments, developers of big housing um, developments or whatever are looking because they know that actually people buying their properties will want a great signal they'll want great connectivity you know how many times when to people when they're buying a house you go around the house with your mobile phone to check what the signal is like um (laughs) you know i had one chap who was in london he had a building and he was going to let it It was a big building huge value and the ceo went came along walked around the building and basically said i've got no mobile phone signal i don't want it and he came to us and said, what can you do to help? And, you know, because there's all sorts of things we can do. It's not just about the big macro infrastructure. It's the, you know, it's the in-building solutions. You know, there's small cells. There's a huge amount out there where we can help. So, you know, we what we want is the private sector in, in other areas to be um, looking at connectivity and as, as another utility. You know, you're not going to build a building, are you, without water and electricity? Um you know, and heating or whatever it is. And so you you shouldn't be building or developing anything without good connectivity because that is what, that's what everybody requires now. Okay. Um, Let's talk about you, Belinda. You're a lawyer by background, but you spent the last 13 years working uh, in mobile telecommunications in the UK. Firstly, as you said, with um, MBNL uh, and now at Cornerstone. What makes telecoms so attractive to you? Um, that's an interesting question because I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I know the answer. Um, no, look, I think it's a it's an incredibly dynamic environment and it's fast paced and it is exciting. And I think it is one of these areas. And I I think it would be great if we could get more uh, the young people to go into telecoms. And you know, it never in my career in telecoms, so much has changed. Even in that period of time from when I started. It is a completely different world. I mean, we're dealing with so many new technologies and new challenges and, you know, and this is never, this is, this is not going to change. So, um, yeah, I think that's what, I think if you like that sort of dynamic environment, um, I think you, um, yeah, telecoms is a great place to be. So, so uh, you've been there for eight years and you acted as interim ceo recently i mean what what what's what's your key to success then oh uh probably resilience i think (laughs) um you know it's i mean i say that it's a dynamic and exciting environment and industry it is challenging and it can be um yeah and it's also as a woman in a in a very male environment that can that can have its challenges but i think it's resilience and um being professional I think and being respectful and I I think having people 
trust you, I think is really important. I mean, is the diversity changing uh, in the sector? Are there more women coming into the sector? Not as no- not enough. I think we really do need to get more women. And, that, you know, it's funny because I sort of don't understand why, you know, people wouldn't, you know, if you're coming out of university, why is it not a sector that you would want to go into? Because it is, there's so much to it. And um, as, a, as a sector, we, we, we obviously provide the infrastructure, but there's a huge um, sort of, um, infrastructure around it in terms of you know we use suppliers contractors you need riggers you need um you know engineers um designers there's a whole host of jobs and opportunities in the sector it's it's actually huge um you know we're a relatively small company in terms of you know what we're just around 250 people but the wider environment around it is, is massive you can get to go up those very huge, lovely big masts, I imagine, as well. So um, what do you do when you're not at work? Do you actively try and avoid spending time on the phone? Uh, no, I am constantly on my phone. And I'm constantly frustrated if I if I get a, a dropped signal. And I sort of say, oh, I definitely need to get a mast up here. Um, and uh, no, I mean, we all use connectivity. It's absolutely, we just... You know, I look around everywhere you go, you see people walking around and they've got their phones, whatever, you know, whether they're looking at film or they're trying to find their way around. Um, that is the future. So, yeah, I'm afraid I am. Yeah, I'm slightly attached to my phone. Well, let's talk about a bit more about the delivery challenges. Um, the Electronic Communications Code was, was revised um, in the Digital Economy Act in 2017. And that was supposed to make it easier for telecoms companies to roll out infrastructure more quickly and uh, more cost effectively. I mean, how has that turned out in reality? So um, it was it was uh, difficult at the start. I think is probably fair to say, and because basically what the act was doing was was changing a way of working that had been in place for around twenty five years, basically since mobile sort of started, and the industry was used to working in a particular way and as were landlords. But the the challenge that it had is that that was um, often um, very expensive. So the amount of infrastructure that we need to give us the ubiquitous coverage is huge. And um, we were often being held to ransom, and uh, which I'm sure other infrastructure companies find that that's the case. And it was really difficult to try and get sites and and get terms. And this is actually not just the sites. You know, often we're being blocked from getting access to those sites. And um, so when people complain maybe of a drop signal because uh, the, you know, there might be something wrong with that site. But actually, often it's because we actually can't get access. We're being blocked for whatever reason. Um, So the new act was there to try and change all that to make it, sort of cheaper, quicker, easier for us to roll out that infrastructure. But as you can appreciate, there was a lot of resistance to that. Um, and there was uh, a lot of the, I suppose, the agents acting on behalf of the property side, the, the, the landowner side, resisted um, some of the 
valuation um, principles that were set out in the Act. Um, you know, we understood that, that why that was going to happen, but um, so we have been challenged on that. We've had to go to the tribunal probably more than we would have wanted to. But actually what's happened over the last sort of three, four years is we've got a huge amount of guidance from the tribunal and um, and the market is now settling and I think the realisation of what we're actually trying to do has, has landed. Um, we still do get isolated cases of resistance to it. Um, but the government, and this is where the government have been supportive, the government has been really clear, you know, this is the way forward, this is how we are valuing land, this is the rights that this, you know, critical infrastructure and the MNOs need in order to maintain and... Um, you know, the good connectivity across the UK. I mean, your bio states that you, you know, your work transformed this code for the good of the industry. I mean, what, what, you know, how did that happen? What did you do? What, what changed? What, what role do you play in changing that code? I think we were very forward thinking on it. I mean, it was a challenge to everyone when the new piece of legislation, it's not the easiest piece of legislation, actually. And, um, and I think even the government admitted, I think they stood, they uh, sat on the fence on some on some things and basically said, well, use it or lose it. And um, also, we will be expecting you to go to the tribunal and get clarity on some of these perhaps grey areas. And that's exactly what we did. You know, we didn't sort of hide in the shadows. We actually did come out there. We were brave and bold in terms of sort of, yeah, let's, let's, let's get the clarity, not just for us, but for everybody. You've got a piece of legislation and then it rolls over and no one really understands what it says. And sometimes we won, sometimes we didn't, you know. So, But what we did always get is clarity from the tribunal. And so by getting that, we have evolved over the years, you know, our agreements, our approach, you know, making sure. And, and and that's why I sort of think in the last sort of four years, we've got to a really good place in terms of, you know, acceptance of what it actually says and a really good understanding. I mean, I think it's quite just quickly just to say, because the old code, because there's always been a communications code, but the old code was never challenged in court. There was never any cases because it was so badly drafted that no one ever wanted to go to court on it. So that's, you know, that was in 19, I think it was 84. So, you know, we didn't want to make that same mistake again. We wanted to establish the right principles in court um, and, um, you know, have clarity for everybody, really. So you're making progress there. I mean, are there any clear barriers that still exist to rolling out infrastructure at speed? Well, yes. I mean, I think, you know, the big barriers is what I've sort of talked about earlier. It is, you know, still planning, you know, trying to get these sites, um, you know, locations, the resistance from from landowners. Um, and, and they're very difficult. I mean, a lot of the, so for the shared rural network, a lot of the sites are literally in the middle of nowhere, sometimes, you know, 20 miles maybe from the nearest road and trying to get fibre to those sites is massive. Um, trying to get the the equipment, you know, we're having to use helicopters in some cases, you know, where we're sort of putting these sites in, up in the highlands, you're going to have to use a helicopter to, to bring the equipment in. Um, and, you know, you get weather, so once, when the winter comes in, you can't often get there. You know, and power to these sites, you, you know, got the likes of um, Storm Irwin, so we're reliant on that as well. So if it knocks out the electricity, um you know, for the local villages or whatever, it obviously it will knock the electricity out for us. So we're also, as an industry, looking at what those solutions might be, you know, power resilience, how can we ensure that 
you know, because mobile connectivity, if something does happen, is absolutely critical. So we really are, that's again something that we're looking at as obviously the weather is changing. We need to make sure that we have that resilience on our sites. Um, and also looking at it from an environmental perspective. We do take, um, you know, ESG, the environmental, we take that very seriously and are very keen to look at how we can make everything we do uh, more sustainable. Okay, well, just to wrap up, I mean, the National Infrastructure Commission says that government must now set out a clear vision for 5G mobile networks in the upcoming uh, wireless infrastructure strategy. That's what it said in its its, its update recently. The strategy is out. Are you happy with what you see in that strategy? Um, Yeah, I think we were, actually. I think it reiterated the need to remove practical uh, barriers to so building that inf- that infrastructure. So it does accept the, the stuff that you, that you and I have just been talking about. So um, yeah, I think we do. I think we were we welcomed the strategy. We feel that it is absolutely the right thing. There were a few areas where it didn't. Maybe the need to develop a more sustainable delivery ecosystem. And I think there's also something, and it's I'm keen to talk to the government about promoting more apprenticeships in schools, you know, vocational qualifications, because we need, as we say, the next generation specialists to come into the industry. You know, it's always going, it's a very people-centric business. And so I think that's maybe some one area where the government didn't hit. And I think that's something that they need to look at because we do have a skills gap in the industry. A vast area which we haven't got quite time to get really stuck into that now, but just finish us off with, you know, what a success uh, look like for you in terms of the mobile networks for the UK going forward? I think it is that ubiquitous coverage. I think that everybody has the critical um, connectivity that they that they want. The younger generation are coming up. We want that coverage. And I think, you know, there's so many things that it can do. You know, everything that we are talking about from you know, um, driverless cars, it will, that will all rely on great connectivity. And we need to be at the forefront of all this in order to be able to compete with uh, the rest of the world. So um, what do I see it looking like? I'd love to think that we can, you know, get the, you know, all the coverage literally everywhere. And um, it allows people to work at home. It allows all that hybrid working that people are that want and are now used to. Um, you know, I sort of think, you know, you look at COVID, what would we have done if we hadn't had the connectivity that we did? You know, we all survived. Most people survived through being able to work at home during that period. And without the connectivity that we have built over the last few years, um, I don't think that would have been possible. So I think it's, yeah, I think that's what it will will look like well long may that continue to improve uh, belinda thanks so much for joining me today on the infrastructure podcast and for explaining what is as, as you said it's a it's a really important but perhaps not quite so well known part of the sector thanks for joining me belinda. thank you anthony great well that's all we've got time for today but we're going to have more from the infrastructure podcast uh, in the pipeline and more guests to talk to as we continue to probe the big issues faith across the sector if you haven't done so already do check out uh, the new infrastructure podcast website www.infrastructure-podcast.com where you will find background information and all the latest podcasts to listen to and to share so thanks for joining us today thanks again to belinda and i look forward to seeing you again very soon Um.